What's up, Velocity? Good to see you guys. Uh, many of you know that I enjoy playing golf, and you think that that's crazy, probably. Uh, I actually enjoy watching golf as well. Like, I'll turn it on the TV, and on a Sunday afternoon especially, fall asleep, you know, within a first couple holes and then wake up to be able to see the end, and I enjoy that. Uh, there's a famous quote that gets passed around, and it's often misattributed to Mark, Mark Twain, but it, it says this, golf is a good walk spoiled. <laughs> You have to be a little bit of a glutton to play golf. You, uh, you know, it's difficult enough to, you know, you can string enough, maybe uh, enough good shots together, but that, that little white ball just sits there. If you've never played before, it just sits there and it doesn't move. It's one of the, I, I, think, it's, I think it's the only sport in which that's the case. You play the ball without it being in motion and it just sits there and it mocks you. Now, I'm not saying inanimate objects talk, but, but a golf ball does. And it just sits there and it just mocks you said, go ahead, try. Like, try to hit me, try to hit me straight, try to hit me where you want it to go. And it, it's just infuriating. And yet there are over 24 million people who play each and every year this, this infuriating game that, that, you know, you hit one good shot and that's all it takes to keep you coming back. It's just one. Because then you think, oh, if I can do that one time, maybe I can do it too. Or maybe I can do it three and maybe kind of keep stringing those together and maybe have a, have a good round. The game is painfully simple. All you do is you take a club, you swing it, hit a ball into a hole. That, that's it. That, that's all you have to do. And yet it's also incredibly infuriating and deeply complex. Because you can swing as hard as you possibly can to hit that ball and either miss it <laughs> Or maybe it just dribbles like 10 yards in front of you when you watch a pro on TV hit it like 320 yards. It's, it's crazy. Even just a little bit of your swing off, that club face hitting the ball just a little bit off will create spin that 10 yards out looks like, oh man, finally hit it straight. It's going exactly where I want it to, to go. But that little bit of spin like 200 yards out will put you 100 yards out to the, to the right. And there's so many areas in life where this is the case. We observe obvious results. It's like, oh, look, we just hit the golf ball there, and other people can do it, so I should be able to do it as well. Uh, pursue the same and find unknown difficulties that we aren't prepared to navigate. So we might look at somebody's life and say, uh, you know what, they have it pretty, pretty much together. And we try to copy externally what we see going on in their life. It's like, well, they have, a, they have this kind of job, or they have this kind of, you know, they do these kinds of things, or they live in this kind of house. And so we try to copy that and try to have this, this thing that really uh, it has nothing to do, those external results have nothing to do with how that person got there in their life. Or maybe we'll even take it from the negative and look at somebody's life and say, hey, I don't want to end up there. You know, so we try to do the exact opposite and yet maybe still deal with some of the, some of the problems that we wanted to avoid all the, all the way. It's not until we apply wisdom and discernment, though, that we gain understanding. Having information isn't enough. We know that. You have to know what to do with it. Take golf for an example. An observation, you might believe, well, you know, a golfer hits the ball farther by swinging the club harder. And while that might be a, a nuanced difference between pros, in actuality, the biggest difference between the average golfer and hitting it far like somebody else can is how well they make contact with the ball. It's not really how hard they swing. A lot of us can swing the exact same, uh, you know, with the exact same strength or exact same uh, club speed and yet not hit the ball the same just because we're not making good contact with it. We're not hitting the ball with the sweet spot of the club face. 
And so the rhythm of your swing, for example, in golf is not first and foremost primarily about power, it's about positioning your movement for best contact. And this is true about a lot of things. And I've taken uh, golf lessons and you know, and I've got swing thoughts and I think about where to position the ball and, and all those kinds of things, know the distances that my, my club hits, but the most important part really happens between my ears when I'm on a golf course. A famous golfer, Arnold Palmer, um, just the great ambassador for the game, said this. He said, golf is a game of inches. The most important are the six inches between your ears. The decisions you make, the way you course manage, how long it takes you to analyze and correct a swing flaw that presents itself can make or break the enjoyment of your round. And the same is true about our rhythms as disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are followers of Jesus who do what he did. And you could look at the results of the actions of Jesus and assume how they're meant to impact your life or believe how they're meant to impact your life. But if that belief doesn't translate into the right rhythms, the right practices, the right disciplines, we could end up claiming Jesus as fervently and passionately as we can and totally miss who he's called us to be. Kind of like swinging at a golf ball as hard as possible, you know, like I mentioned earlier, only to miss it or see it dribble off the tee or go 200 yards to the right or left instead of a smooth, rhythmic swing that makes perfect contact that puts it 250 yards right down the middle. And I'm sure you can imagine that that's my experience every time I play golf, the five times a year I play. It's the difference between believing and following the more we follow Jesus, the stronger our foundation of belief. And so as we've talked about what it means to have this rhythm of disciples and following Jesus, the last two messages we've talked about following the holy habits of Jesus. So we start to think about our habits less in terms of just healthy and unhealthy, but more in terms of holy and unholy. And a disciple sets time to abide in God because God is enough for us when his presence is enough for us and develops our rhythm of life to be completely satisfied, satisfied in him to the exclusion of anything else. And the next building block on that foundation that Jesus models for us, his rhythm of life that we match as followers of him is Jesus internalized the Bible. Simply put, when we know what God has said, we know what God would have us to do. One of the easiest ways to recognizing if we are internalizing God's word in our hearts is really born out of our character because that's what set Jesus apart for other people. Knowing God's word and hiding it in our heart is proved out by the evidence of the Holy Spirit being within us, bearing his fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We would all do well to keep that list in our heads because that's who we're called to be through God's word. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for the disciples to know and to be made whole by the truth. And this is what he prays. In John 17, verse 13, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. The more we know about what God's word says, the more we are in a position to apply it in our lives. And the more we apply it, the more we are guided by the truth of God's word, who happens to be Jesus, the word made flesh who dwelt among us. 
And, and the Bible is accessible to us in more ways than it ever has been at any other point in history. It's in print, which is still the favorite of most people who engage with the Bible. Uh, we have it in multiple translations. You can get it digitally. I have multiple different types of Bibles on my phone, not to mention apps that have tons of different translations. I have apps that will read the Bible to me. Some of them have music in the background, or it's just somebody, you know, some, some readings are better than, than others. But we have an audio format and so many different other ways that we can engage with it. We have it broken down into separate books that it is. It's a collection of 66 books, and you can buy those individually as well. But while we have a lot of access to knowledge and opinions of uh, about the Bible, I have to admit that there doesn't seem to be an overwhelming amount of wisdom and discernment surrounding it. And so seeing it, but maybe not necessarily knowing what to do. For example, for the most part, it seems like we're carried away kind of by the, and when I say we, I'm talking about humanity, right? Not just us. Uh, we're largely dictated by what we feel about what we believe. And then that causes us to act upon those feelings. That's why there's so many denominations. There's so many broad spectrums of Christian belief uh, that's born from quite a lot of to be frank, bad teaching and incongruent thinking about what we want to be the case versus what is the case versus what God wants us to do about it. And the only way we can change this about ourselves is if we read it. There's an organization called the American Bible Society that does a state of the Bible survey and publishes this, and they've done it since 2011. And so they go through and they, they ask all kinds of different questions about a range, from a range of different people about their level of engagement with the Bible. So how often do you read it? What are your habits with it? How does it impact your life? Those kinds of things. One of the things that they've uh, discovered recently, especially between early 2019 and 2020, the percentage of U.S. adults who say they use the Bible daily dropped from 14 to 9%, 14 to 9%. All right, so not necessarily, of course, this is across all people, not necessarily a great percentage to begin with, but had a significant drop within a year. Um, and it has never, never dropped that much in a single year in the 10 years that they've done the survey. Uh, it's actually held steady at an average of uh, about 14% through the population. But as you can imagine, over the last year, I don't know if you noticed, but things have been a little bit different. Uh, things, life has been uh, maybe a little less normal uh, and maybe not going exactly the way that we would have it to be. And this decline has continued through the months of the pandemic and all the political upheaval that's going on. And by June of this past year, the percentage of daily Bible users had dropped to 8.5%. There are a lot of things that we've taken away from that. One of the things that I find so, um, I'll say, uh, I'll say disheartening is what I'll say, is that in a moment when, you know, we should be reminded more than ever of where we should be turning to, to guide us and how we approach life, how we think about things, how we engage with those around us, you know, we're not necessarily turning toward the truth. Uh, the study also supported this interesting thing, which I'm not surprised by at all, uh, but there's a significant role in in scripture engagement and how people are, are engaged and their church engagement. Uh, to increase scripture engagement, uh, relational connections through the church, that uh, increasing scriptural engagement happens when those engagements are, are, uh, are made more of a priority in our lives. It's just how, how that happens. As relational church engagement goes up, so does scripture engagement, but when it goes down, scripture engagement drops with us. 
Um, and here, here's the other thing that they found through the study in, in, this past, uh, in this past year. Those tending to be more scripture engaged were more likely to seek the Bible, family members, and prayer meditation for comfort. But those tending to be less Bible engaged were more likely to seek food, TV streaming, and prescription drugs as sources of comfort. And so even, you know, I mean, there are real pragmatic, practical ways in which us being in God's word impacts our life. And there's so many more things that I could share and have shared in, in previous sermons that if you're interested in them, I, I, can, I can send that to you. Unfortunately, during a time when we should be becoming more familiar with what scripture says, we're either tuning out or tuning in to the distractive narratives of the world and self-medicating with temporary sources of comfort. Now, here, here's the thing. Believing in Jesus and knowing about Jesus means absolutely nothing if we're not becoming more like Jesus. Because that's who a disciple of Christ is. What set Jesus apart from any other political and religious leader of the day was not simply his knowledge about Scripture, but his ability to interpret and the wisdom that he had to apply it. And Jesus shows this early on at the very beginning of his ministry. After his baptism in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, Jesus goes off to be in solitude, to fast, to prepare himself for ministry, to be with God, and to focus solely on him. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13, some of you will recognize this as the time when the devil comes to tempt Jesus. And here's what happens. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led to him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his, this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, there's three main ways that devil, the false accuser, tries to tempt Jesus in this moment of, of weakness uh, that Jesus rejects. And they're the major stumbling blocks for all of humanity when it comes to holding on to the foundation of God's word. Satan went after Jesus with need, with power, and with pride. And those are our big Achilles heels in, in this world as humans. And delving into those issues individually, that's a sermon for another time. But note this. The devil sought to tempt Jesus when he was at his weakest and to cause him to stumble in such a way that would undermine his purpose in the most damaging way he possibly could. And Jesus fought that th temptation not through strength of will, not through how he was feeling, and not through ignoring the reality that he was in, but through knowing the truth of God's word and practicing it. The devil's tactic here was to take scripture out of context to present this temptation, to kind of trick Jesus into doing what he wanted him to do. And that's, man, if I had a, if I had a dollar every time I saw scripture taken out of context, I would be a very, very rich man. But Jesus knew the whole of scripture well enough to know the foundational truth about God's word 
to get him through this period of temptation, even at this weak moment of his life. A regular rhythm of disciple of Jesus is internalizing scripture, and it has the most positive change and impact on our lives as a daily rhythm. It's something that we take part in, we, we prioritize in our lives every, every day. To be clear, I'm not talking about reading a devotional or buying another Bible study, but, but I'm talking about us personally reading and meditating on, memorizing, hiding it in our hearts, God's words in, in our individual lives. Um, and, and I know like sometimes we can be overwhelmed by uh, you know, biblical worldview and the context and all those kinds of things, depending on our familiarity with scripture and whether or not it's new to us or we've been into, you know, in it for the rest of our lives. We've got some great resources that we can point you to. Uh, this sermon isn't about that, but like one example is out on our welcome table. It's called Core 52. It's a, it's a book that uh, takes you through that will raise your Bible IQ uh, for, all, for all of those things. Um, and, but, but let me, what I want to do is share with you how you should be reading your Bible. All right, and here's the first step. First step is read. I, you might, might have expected that. Here, here's the excuse that doesn't, doesn't hold water. Well, I'm not a reader. You know, I don't, I don't read much, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, you can have scripture read to you at this point. You can listen to it with music. I mean, however, however you, you can internalize that and, and engage with that, you need to be reading, reading your Bible. And don't cherry pick a few verses, but take a chunk of scripture together. And, and I would encourage you to read through a book at a time. The Bible is made, of six, made up of 66 different books, and they each have their own unique voice. Um, and sometimes, you know, sections are, are pointed out to you with, within your Bible. Um, but remember that, like, chapter and verse divisions are there more for ease of reference rather than a delineation of context and thought. Um, and, and make sure you take that chunk of maybe a chapter, whatever, whatever it is, um, make sure you're reading through that and thinking about the themes and the point that the author is making to uh, to his audience as he's writing that letter or that book or that history or that apocalyptic literature. The second, uh, second is this, is think. These aren't really very difficult steps to come up with on your own, uh, but think. Take time to meditate and consider what the passage of Scripture means. And recognize that when, you're, when you and I come to the text, oftentimes we're coming to it with our own biases, like what we want it to say already versus what it actually does say. Um, its meaning for us is correlated with the meaning that the author intended for his, the original recipients of the text. So it's not just about what it means for you, or how I feel about it, or forcing it into the biases that we already have that we bring to the table, but instead give space for the Holy Spirit to direct you to the principles and the truth that are timeless within the text. Write notes, record what questions that you have, highlight important words or the major theme of the passage, supporting ideas. As you build up the rhythm of reading regularly, you'll be able to connect the dots more and more with other passages that you've read. Scripture often interprets Scripture for us. It's how God works through his word to lead us to truth. The third step is this, is pray. Praying through scripture is a part of reading the text because it is God's word to us. It is what God chooses to reveal of himself to us. And so it's communication. 
as well. And that's what prayer is. It's a communion between us and God. It's not just about us talking to him and telling him what we want him to know or asking him to do for us what we want him to do, but it's also acknowledging what he's already communicated and is communicating with us in our lives. And so as a part of our prayer, we can acknowledge what he's saying and has said by praying through his will. And so that needs to be a part of that regular reading of scripture. And then the final step is to live. So there's four, four things. I'll move to the side. Four things. Read, think, pray, and live as you read through Scripture. This is what you should be doing in your daily Scripture reading. There's always something to be learned or gained through reading through the Bible. And you might not even recognize it immediately. You might read through a passage and think, I really, I'm not even sure you know, what, what the point of that was or why that story is in Scripture. But by internalizing it, something that I've experienced multiple times in my life, the Holy Spirit will work through that preparation to guide you into that truth when, when you need it. I mean, the recall of, of going through something in your life and saying, oh man, three weeks ago, I just read about this in scripture and this person went through this thing or this person wrote about this, this issue that at the time I wasn't going through it, uh, but now, now I am. And so that pre-preparation that we've done by being within God's word prepares us for, for the truth when we need it. Be expectant for Scripture to challenge you. Be expectant for Scripture to encourage you, or perhaps even do both at the same exact, exact time. Be prepared to read through a passage that you've read before at a different time in your life and, and notice something completely different that you didn't at that time because you've changed and you've grown. And God's Word is living and active in our life. Most of all, Look for an opportunity to grow as a follower of Jesus to become more like him. Again, it's not just about believing and knowing. It's about following. And that scripture that leads us into truth will give us an action item for us to take part in in our life. God's word is living and active in our lives when we are active and living it out. And yes, there are going to be passages that we might not immediately understand. I know somebody that you could ask for help with that. Uh, but the clearest rhythm of all that Jesus gave his disciples when it comes to be sanctified by God's word as truth is to put into practice what he said about who we should be becoming in our life. And that's to become more and more like him a little bit more each day. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter writes that we ought to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have within. And in order to do that, you know, we... We, we need to be in his word. And it's not, about, it's not about trying harder. It's not about swinging harder. It's about making better contact with God. And he's revealed himself to us through his word. And so we should be, we should be growing and being more and f- more familiar with who he is through, uh, through the word that he has given us to know him better. Let's pray. God... There are so many, so many excuses and distractions that we uh, either have introduced into our life or that are pushed onto us in our life, whatever they may be, that seeks to take this time that, that we have the opportunity to have with you to be guided into your truth. Uh, so many other uh, thoughts, so many other opinions, so many other tasks, so many other responsibilities. Uh, I mean, the, the list is endless that we could come up with to say why we would push the Bible aside and say, man, I just don't have time for that right now, but I will get around to it. God, help us to, to see more clearly 
how, how that approach is, is not going to guide us into your truth. And God, give us, the, give us the wisdom and discernment that we need to recognize how, how we should be approaching your word daily. God, we, we ask for, for, for more wisdom in our life because we need it. You know, the more we follow our own thoughts and our ideas, the, ideas, the more we follow man's wisdom over God's wisdom, uh, the, the, more, uh, the more difficult it becomes to follow Jesus. And so we ask for you to guide us in your word as we engage with it, as we read through it. We ask that the Holy Spirit helps us with it in times of temptation or in times of distress, in times of need. And God, we thank you that we have it to be able to, to grow in knowledge of who you are, yes, but also to, to become more and more like, like your son. God, we praise you for, for your word and how it changes our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.